in celebrating the time of Lent, when we give up stuff. One of the things that Galatians invites us to do is give up control of our other people so that they might have freedom. To give up our lives, to give others freedom, to lay down our lives that others might be lifted up. To let go of whatever religious traditions or patterns of life that might hold people hostage. To give those up and invite them to know the freedom of Jesus. And so we read Galatians chapter 2. And the contrast between those that want to control other people's life and religion and those that want to bring freedom. All, by the way, are the Christians of their day. Then after 14 years, I, Paul, went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up in response to a revelation. Then I laid before them, though only in a private meeting with the acknowledged leaders, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not compelled to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. But because of false believers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy on the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might enslave us, we did not submit to them even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might always remain with you. And from those who were supposed to be acknowledged leaders, what they actually were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those leaders contributed nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel for the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter, making him an apostle to the circumcised, also worked through me in sending me to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who were acknowledged pillars, recognized the grace that had been given to me, they gave to Barnabas and me the right hand of fellowship agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They ask only one thing, that we remember the poor, which was actually what I was eager to do. But when Cephas, that is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood self-condemned. For until certain people came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but after they came, he drew back and kept himself separate for fear of the circumcision faction. And the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not acting consistently with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, Peter, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? The word of the Lord. 
And the heart of this, let me reread this, but because of false believers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy on the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might enslave us, we did not submit even to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might always remain with you. Galatians is about freedom. It's also about people who want to take away that freedom and enslave others. Both of these groups of people are in the church of Paul's day. Let it not be a surprise to anyone that the church of our day is made up of people who want to bring freedom and people who want to bring slavery. All in the name of Jesus. Just because you throw Jesus' name around doesn't mean that you're in favor of freedom. The freedom that the Apostle Paul is talking about is the freedom from slavery of any kind. Freedom from controls. Freedom that literally makes you do what you do not want to do because of intimidation or manipulation or threat. You are free to do the will of God. You are free to choose to follow Jesus. And those two words are counter to each other. Freedom and enslavement. And they are both strong words. Absolute freedom and obnoxious slavery. The intensity of bondage and the intensity of freedom. The Jewish people's story is a story of a people that started out in slavery. For 480 years, slaves to the Egyptians. And so every Jewish person who takes their heritage seriously knows about slavery. And they are supposed to be a people, because they know about slavery, want to bring freedom to the world in which they live. But the Apostle Paul had learned that that had turned and he was doing more about bringing people into slavery than he was into freedom. I once had the opportunity to know a Jewish man who was the CEO of a software company that managed bonds. And he invited people working for him and people that were relatives my ha wife happened to work in his company, to name one of the new software packages coming out to manage bonds. And so I knew that he was a Jewish man and he had this strong sense of his Jewish heritage and he understood the meaning of bondage. So I said, you know, the word bond is close to the word bondage. Maybe there's something there for the title of this new software package. And between the two of us, my wife and I, we came up with the term bond edge, E-D-G-E, the cutting edge of managing bonds. And he liked it. So we turned bondage into bond edge. And he gave us a free weekend at La Quinta to play golf. <laughs> One of our really good weekends, wasn't it? Beautiful. So we had some freedom after declaring bond edge. 
The irony of this text is that we tend to do to others what has been done to us. It's very difficult for people that have been enslaved for 480 years to turn and bring freedom to other people because we tend to reproduce the abuse that has been laid upon us. Slaves tend to create slaves. The abused tend to do more abuse. The high controlling person tend to be controlling of others and tend to create other controlling people. And the Hebrews were tempted to enslave others even though they were supposed to be a people of freedom. You see, even in Paul's life, he talks about in Galatians chapter 1, he talks about, you have heard, no doubt, my earlier life in Judaism, I was violently persecuting the church of God and was trying to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many young people my age. I was jealously, zealously a follower of the law. In those days, Saul persecuted the church. He was zealous for the legal traditions of his pattern of life. He was a hard liner when it came to the law and legal disciplines of the Jewish pattern of life. He was so hard-lined that he intentionally persecuted the freedom of those people who were in the church who practiced too much freedom. He breathed threats. He threw them into prison. He had innocent people executed by stoning while he stood and watched. Paul did not understand faith as freedom. He understood it as oppression. Anybody who didn't do it the way he wanted you to do it was put away. Have you been around leaders that if you don't do it their way, you are excommunicated? By the way, there are some pastors like that. Don't hang out with pastors like that. There are bosses like that. There are parents like that. There are coaches of teams like that. Do it my way or take the highway. In the church, we would call that religious ecclesiastical terrorism. Paul was a terrorist in his earlier years. He went around killing people in the mosques of their day, which were the churches, because they didn't fit the pattern of religious practice. So my question is, are you so zealous for your Christian tradition that you are quietly jealous of anybody who ventures outside the boundaries of what you consider acceptable behavior? Now, today in this text, the word circumcision is mentioned six times. The word Gentile is mentioned six times. Those are opposites. Now, we know circumcision is about men. We won't say any more about that. But Greeks don't qualify because they aren't circumcised. The Greek men, like Titus. Women don't qualify because they aren't circumcised. Slaves don't qualify because most of them weren't circumcised either. 
Paul, a little bit later on, says, you know, in Christ, there is no difference between those that are circumcised and those that are uncircumcised, men or women. Today, we've sent off many of our uncircumcised women on retreat. That's probably why it's a little quieter here than normal. The actions of the circumcision, Paul says, are high control. They're hypocritical. They're based upon fear. They send spies in to check out what's going on because they want to get rid of people who aren't doing it the right way. They're committed to withdrawing and dividing the people of God. And what Paul does is say very clearly, whatever you do, don't give in to that kind of mentality. Say no to anyone who wants to control you, your faith, and your freedom. Sometimes we're jealous of other people's freedom, and sometimes we're jealous of their freedom to do the wrong thing. Wish I could do that, but I'm a Christian. Can't do that. I'll never forget being in a session meeting in another church where one of the elders was talking about a person who had been nominated to be an elder, but that person had a history of adultery and promiscuity many years ago. They had since repented and changed and had actually become a very covenantal, committed person. But that elder said, you know, why should we elect him? He's gotten away with all sorts of stuff. You know, I wish I could have gotten away with some of that stuff. But I didn't because I'm an elder and I'm responsible. We don't like people who get away with stuff, do we? Even if Jesus has forgiven them. It's a little bit like the story of the prodigal son. The elder brother was not happy with the father. Because the younger brother had squandered all the wealth on wild living. And he had come back home totally poverty-stricken with nothing. And the father still throws a party for him and puts fine robes and clothes on him. And the elder brother is angry. You know, Dad, you've never done that for me. I've been here the whole time and you've never thrown me a party. He was one jealous, angry person. And he had done all the right stuff. But he wanted to take away that freedom from his younger brother who had been forgiven. How can you possibly forgive someone who's made such a mess of their life? That's part of that attitude of control. There must be something wrong with God. God too easily forgives the people who really blow up their lives. We love to clamp down on those who live differently than us. We tend to be hungry for the kind of freedom that they're enjoying and experiencing that we think, you know, maybe they're taking away some of our freedom because they're having a new sense of freedom. We have this view of the world that there's only only so much freedom to go around. So if they're getting some more freedom, I must have less freedom. I think that's one of the problems in America today. 
freedom to live in this country, freedom to work, freedom to be educated, freedom to grow a family in this country, freedom to vote whatever way they want to vote, freedom to follow a different religion if they want to follow it. How dare they have that kind of freedom? I don't even have that kind of freedom. We want the freedom back. We would like to control them from having that freedom. We would like to get them out of the country and disable them from having that freedom. When I was in elementary school, I grew up fast. I think I was five foot ten by the fourth grade and six feet tall by the sixth grade. I could out hit, out kick any other uh, young man on the fields of games just because of my size. And one day it occurred to me that the girls over there on the steps are having a pretty good time playing jacks. So I went over to see if I could play jacks. Well, that's one of the problems of growing up so fast and so big. You lose your sense of small dexterity, and jacks didn't work for my hands. They beat me every time in jacks. Some of the boys didn't like it. They proceeded to call me a sissy, a fairy, somebody who hangs out with girls. And one of them even came up and punched me in the gut and said, we don't want you to do that. Come back and play with us. Well, I learned pretty quickly, you don't break the unstated rules. You don't go into too much freedom because somebody's going to get upset about your freedom. Don't hang out with the girls on, on the school grounds because the boys don't like that kind of freedom. We have people today that are taking others' freedom because they're buying their children's access to college. We, we all suffer from the desire to have privilege. We wouldn't live in Laguna Beach unless we had some of that kind of in our background. I have so many people say to me, oh, it's so great that you're the interim pastor of the Laguna Presbyterian Church. Don't you feel so honored? Yes, but it's not because it's a place so much of white privilege. So we have to be careful when other people are called on it. Because maybe we too, on occasion, have used our privilege to take away somebody else's freedom. This past week, we have seen the tragic and horrible story of 50 people Muslims killed in two, two mosques in Christ Church, New Zealand. Isn't that a great irony? Fifty Muslims killed in Christ Church. God does have a sense of humor. And people who do that, white supremacists, actually do it as a defense of their faith. After all, we're Christians, we're white Christians, and we have the privilege of saying no to those other religions. We don't want those Gentiles messing up our way of life. One of the Australian senators said about this, while this kind of violent vigilantism is never justified, what it highlights is the growing fear within our communities, both in Australia and New Zealand, of the increasing Muslim presence. 
it is that sense of if more Muslims are present, there's going to be less Christian freedom. It would be just like the Judaizers saying there are too many Gentiles in the church and we're losing our clout. On this St. Patrick's Day, we Protestants don't necessarily celebrate. I noticed some of you are wearing green today. Some people have looked for green on me and I didn't have any today. I've given up green for Lent. St. Patrick is remembered and celebrated because he did a unique thing in his work as a Christian in Ireland. He treated the Irish people with great dignity and respect. He didn't try to make Romans and Britons out of them. And they loved him for it. He met them in their own cultural context and told the gospel in stories they understood. And those stories often included a lot of wonderful affirmation of God's special, beautiful creation because the Irish were strong on the beauty of nature. And we remember St. Patrick because he taught the Irish how to read and write. And you may not know this, he actually had women as a part of the leadership of the church. It was a great scandal to Rome. Over a period of time, some of the Irish retreated on that and said, well, women can't really do that. We don't like that kind of freedom for women. The problem is that we get into our religious perspective and think that if we can just create enough walls around us, enough protections, enough boundaries, then we can keep unwanted people out and we can protect our freedom, which is the exact opposite of what the gospel's about. The only way we really get freedom is by embracing people who are different. That's the sign of real freedom. Be concerned about ways in which we create walls and laws and boundaries and resistances for outsiders and we have no strong sense of who we are at the center. If there's anything true about the gospel is we see Jesus at the center full of grace and love and forgiveness and invitation for all and we have boundaries not to keep people out but to carefully bring people in close to Christ. We have a center. Beware of a church that's really strong on their laws and their boundaries, but have lost their strong sense of center in Jesus Christ. The Spirit. The grace. For that's not law. That's life. Let's pray. O Lord, Forgive us for creating resistance where there should be invitation. Help us reach out to people who are very different, who are way outside of our normal boundaries. For that's what you did with Gentiles. And help us to show them Jesus as graciously and lovingly as possible. Help us to live that way in Christ. Amen.